welcome back to the Character Corner. Uh, these are your hosts, Chris and Deepom here. Um, so this was originally going to be a, a short little, you know, some comments before our Ultimate Spider-Man episode about uh, Stan Lee uh, and him, him passing on. Was that was Monday. Um, but the Ultimate Spider-Man episode was two hours long. And <laughs> as... We got as we got because we couldn't record that night, right? We couldn't do we couldn't do Monday night, we couldn't do Tuesday, and we couldn't do you know we're, today's Wednesday. And it's like I just knew we weren't gonna be able to do before then. And as the days went on and on, like deep on I just between stuff we saw on social media and things like that, we just knew that this was gonna be a little bit longer than like a, a short five minute, you know, five ten minute like tribute or whatnot. So. Instead of making that one episode three to four hours long, we decided we were just going to go ahead and record something totally separate. And it's something we were going to do anyway. I mean, I wish it would under better circumstances about us actually just talking about certain creators and, and their works and things like that. I mean, we did some things with, um, we've, we've done this before. So, um, but it's really kind of not, we've kind of just kind of get in there and talking about what Stanley meant to us and to the world of comics because, I mean, when you talk about a legacy, right, and like leaving <laughs> something behind, like this is somebody who worked. Stanley Martin Lieber worked in comics back in the thirty. You were at Timely Comics, nineteen thirty nine, and then Timely became eventually, you know, became Marvel. I mean, this is a guy who's been there since the beginning, you know. And what we love about comics and comic characters. Regardless of whether you're a Marvel person, uh, a DC person, or independent, whatever you, if 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 you enjoy comics, there is some kind of influence from Stan Lee in anything you read. Hundred percent. He he's the one who made he made comics stop being for kids, and that sounds a little excessive to some people, maybe. But he's really the one who grew up comics. He's the one who said, we can do more than tell the story of the week. And we're going to talk more about his soapboxes later, but Stan wasn't just a comic book guy. He's just someone who, who believed in the power of the imagination to make the world better. And it was that spirit that which he uh, uh, attached himself to Marvel, with which um, he carried through even till the day. He was co-creating characters till the day he died. I mean, again, and there's a video floating around of him. Um, it's a, I forget what this, some video series from the early '90s. It's him, Todd McFarlane, and uh, Rob Liefeld. <laughs> and they're ever seen this? And they're doing like a speed creation of a new character. Yeah, somebody sent it to me. McFarlane and Liefeld are showing all these pouches and like, and that could be a gun, and so can that, and that gun's got a gun, and that gun's got a gun in your mother's head. Yeah, and Stanley's like, well, how's this guy move? What's he doing? He's not wearing all these chains. He didn't do anything. He's got to kind of be the. Well, I think it was like the overkill. Like it was a joke. But they I, kind I, of I played actually, it by themselves. I, I actually have it. Hold on. Hold on. Go ahead. You draw hands? Are you into hands? Oh really? yeah, I'm the best. You do hands? Yeah, but why don't we give them here? Wires coming out here, coming oh, down. Up. They the love kids, that the stuff. The kids love wires. The wires oh, that yeah, he'll trip over. Why don't we do it? Oh yeah, yeah. So, you draw good wires. Oh. Um, does he have a double identity? Is he really no, a meek uh, accountant who, who, in real life? Who, who, who else could he be besides Overkill? Well, I mean, what, when he takes off all these clothes, is he a 97-pound Do you, do you see him taking rough fist? Okay. Okay. His thumb. He would have three different cannons different that are okay. facing you with the large kapui. So right here. They could be like missile launchers or whatever. But he's going to have those right over here. What makes you make those value team. judgments? Why only three? You've got four <laughs> knuckles. Because they're... Like I'm sorry, this is the most no, polite roasting fuck out of them. Oh my god! It is the most polite roasting I have ever heard in my life, yo. It is, it is just like why? It's just asking a simple question that you honestly need to be asked. It's like, why are you doing this? And and you don't have, yeah. an they, and you see, they didn't have an answer. It's like, you know, what is it? It's overkill. Like, what is okay? What is, what do you do when he takes all that stuff off? What do you mean? But that goes back to. We'll really dive into this a little bit later, but that's one of the the biggest, you know, uh, uh, the 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 biggest contributions Stan Lee had 
to what we know is in comics is making making the person behind the mask matter. You know, um, it, it's one of these mm-hmm. things that you know we we just did this Ultimate Spider-Man, you know, uh, talk, and obviously Stanley didn't didn't write Ultimate Spider-Man. That was my Brian Michael Bendis, but clearly informed by you know this character that you know that was created in in, in the and the work of Stan Lee, right? And, you know, I'm always seeing people, you know, ask things like, you know, the difference between Peter Parker's Spider-Man and Bruce Wayne's Batman, right? And obviously, is Bruce is the billionaire and Peter <laughs> Parker is the broke teenager, right? But, like, that's, like, to me, like, the obvious bullshit answer, right? But when you look a little bit deeper, you see that Bruce really shuns his identity as Bruce Wayne. Like, nobody, Bruce Wayne doesn't really matter. You know, every yeah. now and then you get, a, you get a character, you get a writer who tried to make Bruce Wayne matter, but he doesn't really matter, right? You know, it never sticks. It never sticks. And we talked about this with, even with Tom King, we love Tom King's writing, what Tom King is doing right now. He's trying to make Bruce matter, but even in that, it's, he still doesn't matter. Because the, 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 the core of the character of Batman and Bruce Wayne is that Batman is the character. Bruce Wayne is, has given in to Batman. He lost his parents, and he, the way he, he dealt with that is to give himself in to Batman. Peter is the complete opposite. He embraces right. being Peter Parker. He deals with consequences of that. But, you know, it's, 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 it's who that is. Like, you never see Spider-Man as just Spider-Man. It's, it's Spider-Man and Peter Parker. It's, it's both. Um, and, and even if you get beyond that, like you so say, you can't get past the fact that, you know, Bruce Wayne's a billionaire. Right. Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Another Stan Lee creation. Billionaire, right? But you'll never ever see anybody say that Tony Stark does not matter. You know? It's, it's, you know, he's Iron Man, yeah, but, you know, he's Tony Stark. And it's, take- it's something I heard mentioned more than once this week was Stan and we're that close, I call him Stan. Um, he always believed the character came first. The superhero stuff we'll get to. Who is this person? Why do they do what they do? That's the story. Mm-hmm. And repulsor rays and web shooters, like those will come. But the story is the person. And for that, he may have saved the medium. Like, I do not think it is going above or beyond to say that this was the last most important figure in comics. There are going to be notable creators who pass away. People who have indelible arcs, marks in our lives. Stan Lee changed what comic books could be. And I'm not going to lie that the course of this podcast, you guys are going to probably get to know me pretty well because this is one of the ones, like, I know you said, like, you and I were texting earlier, like, 95, or I talked to my dad, he's like, 95, they're like, yo, I honestly had not actually accepted that Stan Lee could die. I mean, because it's been, it's been so long. And it's never, been- it never really crossed my mind that, like, Stan Lee could just die. Right. And it was, it felt so sudden, and it, I mean, obviously, like, when you look back, you pay attention closer, it's not that sudden, and his health has been ailing for years, but it's one of those things where it's just well, because name another ninety-five-year-old who's around as much as he is, who's right? like, heavy and everything. Like it, it, it was big news like a couple years ago. We still puts him in his nineties when he was going to stop going to comic cons. He was in his nineties, still going to comic, and I don't just mean like San Diego and New York. Like he would go mm-hmm. to Baltimore. He would go to. Like of he he went to cons. That's what he did. He's in all of these fucking movies and cameos. Like he still made talk. He you, you would see you know creators talk about the Spider Man game on PS4. Yeah, this yes, it's like he it, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's easy to sit sit there and go. Well, I I didn't think that he could die is because how is it easy? How could you think that when he's everywhere? Like everywhere you look, Stan Lee was there, and it's, and and it's not even just in the creator sense of all his characters are there. He was there. It's why, like I said, I I said this on on Facebook. It's like 
it's 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 um and and and, and I meant this in in a, in a positive way. It's like I I didn't feel sadness when I learned that he died. I mean, obviously there's the the, the sadness of somebody died, right? But it's one of those things where I'm like, this is a man who at 95 lived the life that I think all of us could want. He created iconic characters. He created something iconic. He didn't just create it, but then as he as he lived to this ripe age of 95, watch as these characters became accepted into popular culture. Then watch them get, go from the, the characters that him and his co-creators wrote or drew on, on, on pages, on, on, on little on lo- notebook pages, <clears throat> then become like these living, breathing characters in movies. And that just watch that. Then he also starred in those. He was also been put into those movies to interact with those characters. It's like he literally watched his characters come to life, you know, and and, you know, obviously the loss of life of anybody, particularly somebody like this, that, that meant so much to so many people is going to bring some kind of sadness. But there also has to be some kind of there's some kind of there's something, you know, reassuring in that fact that he literally went out on top. He went out, you know, with all knowing that his legacy will never die. Like Spider-Man is always going to be there. You know, the X, like, just let's just go through some of these characters that he's created, right? Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, Galactus, the X-Men, the original X-Men, including Magneto, Black Panther. You have the Avengers, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, Ant-Man, Black Widow, Falcon. Yeah, the Inhumans uh, co-created Daredevil. So a lot of these are also just co-creators around with, with the artists. The the artists he he he, uh, he he created these with, you know, Jack Kirby, uh, Ditko. Uh, I believe oh, I can't. Which one was it that he co-created with his brother? Uh, that, that I can't tell you. Talking about. Oh man, I, I, just, I had it written down. But like, you know, these uh, and again, there's so many other characters here, and then there's there and then there are characters that 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 he that that were inspired by the ones he created. You know, it's that's never going. To, that legacy is never going away. You can well, never even. Go ahead. So it's it's so important what you said about some of the characters created Luke Cage and um, Black Panther, and 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 he always viewed himself as an activist through arts. And I know those two are the two you mentioned so prominently because they're black created black characters who he created, like the Afrofuturism of Wakanda does not exist, but for the mind of a, a, a Jewish man from, from uh, New York. Right. But before either one of those characters in Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos, his second was Gabe Jones. Nick, uh, so, you know, Sam, we made up both those characters too from whole, from whole cloth. Gabriel Jones was just a guy. He was a black agent in who fought alongside uh, Fury in nineteen in the World War Two. It could not have happened. The character there weren't integrated units in World War Two. Stanley decided that it was that important to him. When, when, when the Black Panthers became on the national stage, there's pressure from people inside Marvel to change the name of T'Challa. And Stan said, absolutely not. There's mock-ups. I believe it was um, Cobalt Tiger mm-hmm. was the name they were going to use. And Stan was like, absolutely the fuck and not. So... Like my big thing is I, I, I this is we're gonna talk about Stan Lee, his creations, but I wanna make sure that there's no glossing over what Stan Lee did outside of just creating these things. He believes in some things and he uses me to communicate them. Um if you follow me on Facebook, I shared a bunch of the uh Stan soapboxes because he used to what Stan Lee would do is he would take out these editorial boxes in every Marvel comic from and I, I don't know how you grew up. I grew up reading back issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I grew up reading these 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 uh, stand soapboxes. I grew up calling myself a mighty Marvelite, dude. Like I I I knew this stuff. Like this was my language. Those yellow boxes. I was like, oh, the editor's talking to us, guys. 
Stanley, there's a, um, a they ran a, a, a five panel or five page cartoon in the New York Times with Brian Michael Bendis explaining that if you grew up like we did, Stan Lee was Mickey Mouse and Ronald McDonald and 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 everything else good in the world rolled into one man. Stan Lee's voice in front of Spider Man and the Amazing Friends is Amazing Friends. I still hear it. Mm-hmm. And he left such an indelible mark on so many people. And I, I, I'm recording this. I'm still a little bit in shock. Not because he's 95, but because honestly, through his art, he's immortal. Like, he's, can comic books change the world? The answer is an emphatic yes. And in the last two weeks, I lost my favorite comic of all time and lost light. And then I lost Stan Lee. And I say I lost Stan Lee because I'll be honest, it feels like I lost someone. Like, I, that is, it's creation in the world, but it feels like we all kind of knew Stan. No, it 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 it, it is. Uh, I, I want to go back to something you were, you were bringing up. I know you're going to read some of the soapboxes stuff like that. Um, this is you're you're talking about you know you know the the characters, some of the the the, the black hair. You you talk about Gabe Jones. Here is uh, this is back from um, oh this is years ago. This is when uh, Kevin Smith was interviewing Stan Lee. He's actually talking about creating Robbie Robertson. Um, let me see if mm-hmm. I can play this. And as counterpoint to Jameson, I wanted to get, I, I got a guy, Robbie Robertson, oh, really? who was a black editor, mm-hmm. and I wanted him to be the, um, the voice of reason mm-hmm. on the newspaper. He really carried the paper. Right. He pacified Jameson. And I also wanted the reader to suspect that Robbie suspected that Peter was Spider-Man. Whereas Jameson was too anything. clouded with rage to ever make that connection right. himself. Again, and, and you'd understand this as well as anybody, by having a family in a strip, mm-hmm. people you know, you know their personality, you know their character, you know, then you know how they would talk, you right. know what they would do. And to use that old cliche, which isn't true, the stories almost write themselves. Exactly. I mean, come on, man. Like, how can like, you. None of, people are like, oh, yeah. None of the things he did was a mistake. People were talking about should black people be allowed to live in certain places? And he was like, if you change Black Panther's name to Cole Tiger, I'm going to burn this motherfucker to the ground. Like, it's, it, and, 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 and again, it bears repeating the day and age that he, these were written. You know, it's like people wonder why we would go so hard on. on those idiots talking about some, oh, you get, get the politics out of my comics and SJW Marvel. Like, Stan Lee was always an SAW. Like Stan, Stan Lee was the poli- always had politics in comics because that's what he did. That's that was the purpose of this. Uh, we're we're doing this. Um, we're we're doing the Doom Patrol coming up this uh, this weekend, and some of the things that they get brought up with this all the time because everybody knows like there's always some rivals between DC and Marvel, and you know each stealing each other's comics. And I believe the um, the creators of of the Doom Patrol. I can't remember which one it was, but one of them basically was like, at one point, kind of felt that Marvel kind of stole the idea of the Doom of the of the X Men from Doom Patrol, and it's like you know the chief is is is, is in a wheelchair. You have this misfit groups, and I can see how on the surface level people would say that and, and, and feel that. If like if I saw that, I might feel that way. But I think that what what was missing in that and what was missing in some of the stuff I was reading, you know, about these is that. Yeah, the the Doom Patrol is just a bunch is is a mythic, and we'll do a whole character corner on them. Like I said, coming this weekend. But the X Men, the X Men are something totally different. Like the 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 visuals of what they were as as out, outcasts and, and misfits. Like that's where the, the 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 comparison between the Doom them and the Doom Patrol like kind of in. It's people people get focused on the appearance of the X Men. It's like misfits who have powers. That's why we haven't gotten a good X Men movie yet. Right. That's that's not the X Men at all. The X Men is exactly what you have. You have you had Jewish creators create a group that you know uh, that is an, an, an allegory for you know uh, uh, the civil rights movements for it, basically any any marginalized group, right? That is well, living in a yeah. world that, <clears throat> that hates them. You know, it lives in a world that hates them and still fights to protect them and do the right thing. That is what you have here with the that is what the X Men were. 
how they've always been. And that's the core of them. That's why when you do get good X-Men books or X-Men shows, mm, uh, The Gifted, they make, that a, they make that a core of the thing because that is what Stan Lee's whole vision was for them and what makes them great, what makes them stand out. You know, well, and yeah. And, and again, it goes back to what you were saying. This is the, how Stan Lee changed comic books. So yeah. when Stan created the X-Men, um, and it's not a perfect allegory, and everyone knows this yeah. now, and we're all grown-ups. Professor X was the integrationist ideals of, Malcolm, uh, of, of Martin Luther King, and uh, the secessionist ideals of Malcolm X were um, portrayed by Magneto. People say, oh, it's so messy and sloppy, just white guys fighting. I get it. I get what you're saying. And I'm going to explain it later how it all makes sense, and literally makes me want to like, fucking cry. But you gotta understand that Stan realized that over time his ideas weren't fully fleshed out either. That's why the ideas kept growing and changing. That's why we end up with Genosha in our apartheid island state where the mutants serve the normals. <laughs> because he wanted to be even more explicit. So it's how you get it's how you get a character like Magneto, who on the surface you're just like, oh yeah, okay, just the bad guy, but he's mm-hmm. a he, he's he, he's a Holocaust survivor. With the with the it's, with the you never never forget never again mentality, which then makes you then what do we, what do we love about villains, right? We love villains that we can relate to. Well, how can you not relate to a villain like that? Well, yeah, and it's able to tell. It allows the Jewish writer Stan Lee to tell the larger story of because you've been done wrong does not give you permission to do others wrong. Yes, and it's it's and I think something you said earlier was so so well put because. Stan, the clip you played about finding the voices for the characters and defining them, and, and he was so good and so adept that you'd meet a character in Peter Parker's universe, and if another writer wrote that character, you'd be like, that's not how they sound, that's not what they talk like. That's not how they would ever approach this. The arguments people say, oh, so-and-so character would never do this. Motherfucker, Batman wore rainbow-colored bat suits one time. <laughs> you can't tell me what Bruce Wayne won't do. He is Zer and R. Google that if you want to be bored for a while. But I can pick up a Marvel book and say, hey, this doesn't sound like the character I know. The voices of the characters. They're, they're, he, he was so able to seemingly capture the voices of these characters in one or two panels to where years later, if a different writer grabbed me, he'd say, that's not what he sounds like. That's not what this character holds dear. And often, we'd say, they'd say, oh, shit, you're right, and they'd fire that writer. But there were times when, even today, I'd say, that's not the Tony I know. And they say, well, here's how he got here. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But sometimes they turn Tony into a fascist, like Mark Millar did in Civil War, and you still can't explain it 20 years later. Anyway. <laughs> but, you know, and again, like, it, it, it's, it's uh, just to go back to it, like, the idea of making the character matter, not the, not mm. the costume, not the, like, and again, it's not, it's not saying that anything in DC does wrong. Like, Batman, the again, we, we talk about this all the time when we talk about w- what the problem was with the DCEU was, and we were like, from the DCEU was, they're dealing with icons and, and, and gods, right? They, they've created all their characters to be these untouchable gods that you as a mortal person is looking at, and it's hard to, it's hard to show gods being flawed when you've written them as gods for so long. Not saying you can't do it, because clearly you can, because if, if, if you couldn't, there would never be any good stories from DC. There are, there are plenty of good stories out there. But it's a different thing than when you take somebody like, for instance, we, I, I mentioned Tony Stark before. You know, there's that time during, um, during uh, Time Runs Out and Hickman's run where it looks like it's the end of the world. The, Avenger, the, the Illuminati couldn't stop the, um, the incursions. And so Tony sits there with those, those like, 10 shot glasses full of liquor. And it's like, I can't stop these incursions, but I can beat you. Basically harking back to his, his drinking problem, his problem with alcohol, right? So even here in this moment, you're seeing the core of this character dealing with real issues. There are people out there that deal and struggle with alcoholism. And here you have a superhero who is an alcoholic who has that still being to this day, a core of his character, a core of his issue and it makes it real. It makes it connected. It's, it's the thing that you feel that's tangible going like, wow, this person really does put his pants on just like I do. Like, he can do the same thing. I, he goes to the same issues I go through. And it makes him relatable. And that all came from, you know, the mind of Stan Lee. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, here's something. I think this is another one of his. Uh, I believe he wrote this in one of his his soapboxes. I, I know a lot of people post. I think this is, this might be the one that you post. I'm not sure. Um, and this is with his, his comments on uh, bigotry and racism again. For those who don't want comic book creators commenting on, you know, uh, political issues or making everything about race, Stanley did. Here, 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 here it is. Um, let's lay it right on the line. Bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social uh, ills plaguing the world today. But unlike a, co- a team of costume supervillains, they can't be halted with a punch or in, a, in a snoot or a zap from a ray gun. The only way to destroy them is to expose them, to, to reel them for the insidious evils they really are. The bigot, uh, the bigot is an unreasoning hater, one who hates blindly, fanatically, indiscriminately. If his hang-up is a black man, he hates all black men. If a redhead once offended him, he hates all redheads. If some foreigner beat him in a job, he's down on all foreigners. He hates people he's never seen, people he's never known, with equal intensity, with equal venom. Now, we're not trying to say it's unreasonable for one human being to bug another, but, but although anyone has a right to dislike another individual, it's totally irrational a patent, patently insane to condemn an entire race, to despise an entire nation, to vilify an entire religion. Sooner or later, we must learn to judge each other on our own merits. Sooner or later, if a man ever be worthy of his destiny, we must, we must fill out our hearts with tolerance. For then and only then will we truly be worthy. Will we truly will we be truly worthy of the concept that man was created in the image of God, a God who call, can call can call us all his children. That was written in 1968, December. It's, it, it's a little, it's more a little, it's, it's jarring to see how far we haven't come. <laughs> Tell me about it. But it's more jarring to think that he wrote this in 1968. Right. Because this wasn't a talking point on television. This wasn't a... A, a, a win in a debate. This was the height of civil unrest in this country. December 1968. He put that in every Marvel comic book that ran that month. People were dying for rights. And he had a platform and he said, I will not let my voice not be used. And I don't think we at the MTR Network are Stanley. I don't think we're activists, but I do think that I hope that if, even if we provide just a little escapism, we do something. I, I don't know, man. This, I'm going to skip to the end of the things I wanted to say today, um, and we'll keep talking, obviously, but I... I hate the parent lot of man. I have great parents. They instill great values in me. And uh, I grew up fairly religious, but if you ask me where my, where my morality was crystallized, it was giving my parents. They told me what a good person is, but it was proven to me by Stan Lee. And he taught me through comics. And not always through soapboxes, because I, I grew up, like I said, on, on, on back issues and people's old comics. So this is the stuff I read. This is the, and I read every word. I read every word of the letters pages. I read every word of the ads, like what's coming next in 1972. Let's see. Oh, wait, it's 1993. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Stan Lee used his books. He used his platform to do all those things he talked about. But more than anything, I think he taught a level of empathy to people who are Marvel readers. That is, it, it's the most effective way because you can say, oh, the Bible will teach you these lessons. Those aren't necessarily relatable tales. And while these are tales of men with spider powers and other men with octopus arms, they're modern mythology. They're rooted in morality tales. Fantastic Four taught us that the unknown can be scary, but it can also be exciting as hell. There's a line for Bigman's run. There's a door. You do not have to walk through it. You can choose to run. It taught us that everyone who's different, everything that makes you different isn't bad. As a matter of fact, it gives you power. He taught us that with the X-Men. 
He said, oh, but all that power you developed because you're different, that power you have in your hands, it's useless without humility. Because Thor, when introduced, was attached to the mortal body of a crippled doctor to, to learn humility. And having all this power and having to try to do good can be frustrating and make you angry. But that anger can be directed into a force, again, for good, like the Hulk. You can bridge the present to the future you want to see and be Iron Man, but you can still hold on to the foundations that got you there, like Captain America, and you know that you do best work when you do it with your friends like the Avengers. But above all else, but everything he taught me about power and being different and being special in this world, that any power I have comes with equal responsibility. The power, the privilege that you're afforded doesn't come without strings. You have a duty to your fellow man. Peter Parker fights to save the world while the world is kicking him in the teeth. And, and that's the and that's something you see with with Spider-Man is the theme in the X-Men. And it's why, honestly, it's why we say make my Marvel. It's not to get into a Marvel mm-hmm. versus DC rant. It's because, honestly, when you think about it, particularly if, you're, if, you, if you are in a marginalized group, we are two black men. You know, the comics that are going to most resonate with me are not going to be that of a billionaire, uh, a billionaire that runs across rooftops at night that, you know, is basically untouchable, you know, in a bat suit, right? It's right. going to be the characters where, you know, you see them save the day, and even when they say the day, they get spit in their face. Or the young kid who is, you know, trying to, you know, uh, uh, you know, cause we did this when we did the Peter Parker issues. Like, those early, we said this, when you read those early Peter Parker issues, those early Stan Lee issues, of, 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 of Peter Parker as Spider-Man, you're taken aback by how real they are. Like, Peter's out here trying to juggle, not just being... His worst times are not him being Spider-Man. It's him trying to figure out how to take care of his aunt, how to get money, because mm-hmm. they might lose their house. Like, if you can't tell me that there's not some kid out there who doesn't read, can't read early Stan, Lee's, uh, early Stan Lee and Steve Ditko uh, Spider-Man and not understand, you know, and, and not go... I understand that. I, I've done that. Like I've, you know, well, I have to work. I have to work a job after work after school and do all this stuff because you know I'm, my mom. I, I live with a single parent and we need to get the money to come in and I got all these other responsibilities to do and I still got to do writing school and I have all the weight of the world on my shoulders. But I have to do it because that's what I'm. That's what my responsibility is. It's like it's real. I, I, I was an adult before I fully appreciated Batman. So I think I had to be. Mm-hmm. Because a child, you kind of like you said, needs to relate. I think the DC heroes are inspirational. They give you, they give you the belief that that that, that anything is possible. Absolutely, yeah. The Marvel heroes are, are aspirational. Mm-hmm. I can't lift up Grand Central like Spider Man, but I can push a little harder. Whatever I'm doing, and something else you mentioned too. It's the idea of doing the right thing even if you don't get a reward for it even if the like i said if the world's kicking you in your teeth you still do the right thing even if you know somebody is going to spit in your face you still do the right thing because it's your responsibility and that's who your core mm-hmm. core the core of your character exactly the core of your character isn't and, and, defined by other people what other people think of you the core of your character is what you want to be and the person you want What's, to be. One of the first covers of the Hulk is this man, this monster, like, and what he does with the Hulk and what he does with all the characters, it says these things that you've been bestowed, these things that make you different or unique, they can be a curse. Maybe turn to a rage monster at night. Maybe you can't look someone in the eyes without blasting with your eye. But that thing that you call a curse can also be a gift. Mm-hmm. And that is such a simple message that kids need to hear. That thing that makes you different, that thing that makes you not want to be you, mm-hmm. is a gift. Mm-hmm. There is a poster of 
40 years of X-Men on my living room wall. I wasn't living room. I said living room. I don't know how that happened in your house. <laughs> my two dogs are named Thor and T'Challa. I've had Thor long before the movies, and I'm not a Norse mythology fan. My dogs are named after Marvel Comics characters. You, you, you want go, go, go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead and finish it. No, and just, I just, it's, it's hard, and, I'm, and we've talked for, I don't even know how long now. It is legitimately hard for me to put into words how much Stan Lee and his lessons meant to me and made me the man that I am. Because, again, my parents were the foundation. But as far as, like, actionable, like, practical application of the things they taught me about empathy and about helping those who can't help themselves, that's all Marvel, baby. Spider-Man. Spider-Man that's yeah. all Marvel. Spider-Man and X-Men comics were my... That's my, those are my, that's my crack, man. It, it was my escape. It, it, it was the thing I looked at. I watched, I watched Saturday morning X-Men cartoons and Spider-Man cartoons growing up. I, had, I, remember, I, I remember when I wanted to get an X-Men comic, and I eventually was able to get them, and my mom still took one look, and it was, uh, it was, it was X-Men number one. It was Gambit holding a bow staff. She was like, oh, no, it's too violent. You can't have that. And eventually I was able to get it. <laughs> it was like, that, that, was, that, that was my console. So I had either sneak comics in or, or read them at the newsstand. You know, I know. Showing my age now, we had comics at news. Bro, I used to get in trouble for reading comics. I, at, like, well, my parents would put you to bed. I have a flashlight under my covers reading comics. Right, <laughs> right. You know, and I get in trouble for reading. Only like that's that's nerdy kid. Yeah, stop reading so damn much. Right. That's, and, this is what Marvel did to me. And 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 even now, as an adult, like I'm I'm successful. Have all the stuff. Like I I've, I've realized that I've I've kind of almost gauged my success into. The comics I always wanted to be able to get, but haven't been able to get. So, like, people don't understand. Like, you know, I bought the that Avenger number one, that 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 uh, Incredible Hulk number one eighty one. I bought that because those characters mean so much to me, and to be able to own something that old from that that I used to sit there and read the. Because this is the thing we we read Wizard magazines before. Like, I used to get Wizard magazines and just look at. I would look at like, oh wow. One day, maybe I can own like an incredible Hulk 181 and own the first appearance of like Wolverine, or I can get the first appearance of Gambit, or I can get an X Men number one at some point. Like, that was my dream. Like, looking at those things and saying, one day I could, I could have a piece of that history. And the connection to the history. And the connection to that. It's the reason why I collected comics. The reason why I got like, you know, long, uh, got a box full of these comics from, from my childhood that I still, I still have to today, right? Like, I have that stuff, and it all came from these creations. Like, I don't think that, you know, not saying that I wouldn't have read comics, but again, like I said, I, I love, you know, what I read right. from DC Comics. I, I do. But I don't think it would have had the emotional connection I did if it wasn't for some of these characters. Again, when we, we, we kind of jumped around here, but, like, you know, when you go look at something like the Fantastic Four <laughs> and, 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 and what Stan Lee did in creating them and Basically, basically having the first team. It's basically one of the first superhero comics over there at Marvel, and a team comic. The first, the start of the Marvel Silver Age. Yeah, and 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 bringing them in there, and I mean, you you got to think about it. Like a lot of people hope to to create or co-create something like and have one hit, right? Imagine doing the Fantastic Four, then following that up with. I believe the X-Men and then the Avengers and then like just just throw three alone. That's fucking ridiculous. That's insane. And and to not just create something, but then to see something that and and I think this is the thing that you also mentioned, you know, with with the, you know, saying, hey, that's not, you know, that's not my that's not my Tony Stark. That's not my Cyclops. That's not my. We can do that over a Marvel because, and that's something we always bring when we do our character corners. Is like the threat is there, like, and I think that's why you you you're like you're right. We're always going to have iconic, you know, creators out there, and some of them are going to pass, and we're going to feel some. Stan Lee, I think, mattered so much because even today, when you're reading comics, what you read connects all the way back to what he did. In the 60s. Like everything, like the, the X Men comics we read today, we, it, it still feels like, you know, again, small changes here and there, but 
the connection is there to what was originally created by San Luke. Same thing and, and, with the Fantasy your, your connection goes to like buying buying old comics. Mine's always like the next story because Avengers Four, a lot of characters in it. Those mm-hmm. character, a lot of those characters came from the same one bedroom apartment that Sam Lee drew out of. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that there's this guy, and that's what I meant earlier when I said there's no singular force in comics that will ever mourn this way because no one did as much as he did. Sheer volume. There's no Stan Lee at DC. They bought a lot of smaller companies. There's no singular Stan Lee at DC. There just isn't. There's no cool one anywhere. If you say Todd McFarlane, I will fight you. <laughs> and I just think it's really, I don't know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> we're rambling here because we're a little, I think I'm a little sober in shock because he's, it's one of those things that you don't realize how much someone matters. Or see you until you have to try to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I've been rolling this podcast over in my head all day, man. All day, everything all I wanted to say. And I, I, Excelsior, it, it loosely translates to higher. And that's the one thing I think Stan left us with all the time. Always try to be better, try to be more, try to be, be serve a higher purpose than yourself. The line that um, Tom Taylor put in. Uh, X-Men Red last month. Did you do you read X-Men Red? I haven't caught up on it yet. Okay, so there's a line. So basically at one point she tricks Xavier Nova. And Nova's saying I, 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 um, how unafraid of the X-Men she is. And Jean says, see people like you with so much hate and fear in their heads. You're so quick to confuse empathy with weakness. Empathy isn't weakness. It just means we have something bigger than ourselves to fight for. And that makes us dangerous. Nova says, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of your X-Men. Yes, you are. Of course you are. You're afraid of what we represent. You're afraid of our compassion. And you're afraid of what it says about you that you have none. You're afraid that you're wrong, that you're less, that you're lacking. That's Stan Lee in a nutshell. He knew that the empathy and loving and trusting his fellow man only helped him and helped everyone. And if you think Stan Lee is... Funny books and Marvel money, that's fine. That's fine, because he is that. But I think it's really important, because they're going to get a lot of half-cocked fucking obituaries and people talking about the creations and the money they made and all this shit. It's going to drive me literally insane over the next two months. But i tell you this right now. You want to honor Stanley, you want to remember Stanley, remember him for more than the comics he sold or the creators he made, or for what he stood for. Because he was, and, and don't let him be hijacked by anyone else. He was unequivocal about what he stood for. Make my Marvel, man. Yeah. Mighty brand of Marvel, mighty man, mighty band of Marvelites. Like, I'm never going to, like, it's, it's. I think he's already filmed his cameos for A4, obviously. I believe um, Far From Home as well. And I want to say one more. Oh, uh, Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. I think if, if, he, if anyone who makes decisions like this are listening, don't run them. When we lost Stan, let us lose Stan. And I'll play PS4 Spider-Man and do a new game plus playthrough and get to see him at the diner again, which, by the way, is super creepy realistic. Mm-hmm. But if, if he's in the movies, I'm not going to care. I'm not going to be hurt or anything. I'm not going to cry. But guess what? They're going to roll an RIP Stan Lee after Captain Marvel, and you all will cry. Oh, yeah, no, that's going to hurt. It's going to fucking gut. That one's and so hurt. if they're going to give me that card, I don't necessarily need to see him in the movie. Yeah, that that's gonna that one's gonna get you. Um, yeah, yeah. The the thing that the 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 thing that gets me and it's been so heartwarming is seeing all the other creators, you know, all the other people just in general, uh, who have worked with him or were inspired by him, kind of give their own little Stan Lee stories. Like, mm-hmm. um, there was the one from I love the one from Tom King, right? Where Tom, Tom King, King's the best. <laughs> where Tom King's basically like, yeah, I gave my little tribute to Stan Lee by, by putting like a DC Presents, Com Presents in front of all my, my comics to kind of like a tribute to, 
Stan, uh, to Stan Lee, and I told him that once, and he just he told me, "Kid, just just go right for Marvel. <laughs> just like Stan is great, yo. He was great. I mean, it's just, oh man, it, it's it. He's gonna be missed uh, a lot. You know what? He's gonna be missed, but I also feel good in knowing that, particularly over at Marvel, like the the company that he basically saved, um, <laughs> with with his work. Like I feel confident in knowing that they are carrying that on. Like the how, the the whole idea we've seen this comics gate thing and this people come you know against SJW Marvel and all this other shit, right? You know, one thing we noticed was that the um, they never they 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 never wavered from that. <clears throat> you know, which is why I never believed the whole thing about you know when people were like, oh well, no, they they met with some retailers and they said that those comics just don't sell and they're gonna they're gonna roll back. I'm like, no, they're not. Y'all are new because Marvel's not. They've been told this shit before. Mm-hmm. Marvel's heard it before. They still don't give a fuck. They've they've been doing because they don't believe you because the numbers don't lie. They've they've been they've been they've been doing it. You know it's yeah yeah. So it's it's gonna be I yeah. It's been great. Let's see. Um, trying to see if I can find. I want I wanted to end on the the one where he talks about um how Spider Man can be for anybody and how Kevin Smith. Yeah, because I have the whole the whole article, but I just want to get that clip, and I'm trying to see if I can find it. So, um, because yeah, I'm I'm seeing the, yeah, it's just this is the like I said, this is the this is important. This this is you you can never overstate how much he changed the game of comics. I would even say that some of the stuff you see, you know, with some of the other creators at other, other, other places they did because of what Stanley did here. And it worked. I mean, that's the other thing too, we got to say, it's like, he didn't just do these things and it was, it took years to catch you on. Like he did these things and they worked. They worked. Yeah. People, people enjoyed them. They, 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 um, they, they, they gave in, they, they, they supported them. And, you know, to this day, again, I <laughs> did this little thing. It was like, you know, don't go and look at the prices for an Amazing Fantasy 15, guys. No. I'm just telling you right now. Don't. Uh, He's real depressing real fast because the site just calls you broke. <laughs> like. <laughs> you broke, motherfucker. It, 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 it is amazing, amazing, amazing. All right. So we found the clip. So here we go. We're going to play this again. From uh, what was the name of the the? Uh... I just closed it. Oh. Um, Stanley Mutants, Monsters and Marvels, I believe. Okay. It's a uh, interview on film, obviously. Uh, Kevin Smith interviewing him for about an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. So here we go. This is him talking about uh, the creation of uh, well, basically Spider Man and how Spider Man can be anybody. It's very, it's it's very one of the very few comic book characters that even back then that, that was covered from head to toe. Like if Captain America, you still yeah. have this much to say. Spider Man's completely enveloped in his costume. Oh, you so know the good thing about that? Stuff. You could be any kid. Yeah. You could be black. You could be Asian. You right. could be Indian. You right. could be anything, and imagine you were in that costume. Right. So I think that made it relevant mm-hmm. to. Everybody everywhere, right. and that was accidental. I mean, I, right. I don't think we planned it that way, but right. it was very fortuitous. How can you? How, how can you not love Stan? I, 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 mean, I love another part. Of, another part of the interview, they ask him, or he asked, uh, "How did? Uh, what was it like writing stuff such heavy things for kids? Is I never wrote for kids; I wrote for me." Yeah, I, I love that part of the interview too. It's just like, but but that's true, right? It's like. Yeah, write for yourself, right? Don't, you know, and the other thing too is because I, I think that's one of the, the biggest problems people have when they write for kids. It's like, they don't realize like, kids are fine. Like, you, you write for, like, if, if Dan wrote those characters for himself, as adults, we can see ourselves in those characters. Like, if you, when you go, but we, we went back and, like, I never read the Stan Lee uh, and, 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 and Dicko, uh, 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 
Spider-Man growing up as a kid. By the time I read Spider-Man, yeah. it was I don't even know who the who the writers were, but I was reading somebody else as a writer for that, right? Um, but when I go back and when I finally did read it, I was an adult. When I read it, I instantly connected to it though because I'm like, no, oh, I can see that as myself. I can see I can see how that. Oh, that's that's relatable. So it's like again, you don't have to write for kids for it for it to be enjoyed by everyone who could possibly pick it up and read it because again. And at some point, adults were kids too. So, you know, if you write to, if you write for yourself and you're an adult, you know what it was like growing up as a kid. You know what your experiences were. You can you can include that in there. Um, the last thing on, on the Spider-Man tip too, I also see that uh, there was a there was a thing where Dan Slott was talking about um, you know, him, he, and he had uh, got it was I don't know what con- convention or con it was, and he said uh, that he had, went to talk to Stan Lee and was introducing him and. Uh, he said Stan came up to him and was like, you're the writer of Spider-Man. And Stan was like, no, 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 you're the writer of Spider-Man. And then Stan, <laughs> replies, Stan replies to him was like, we're the writers of Spider-Man. And again, <sighs> that, uh, there's, a, there's, uh, there's so many, you can pull out so many clips. There's another clip of him somewhere talking about the fans and about how, why he at this age, again, it was, I saw somebody, re- they, they put it on, online, they were like, they they were it, it, he wasn't even supposed to be talking about it. They had turned the camera on because they they um they were prepping to do some other to do some other filming for something else. And Stan just started talking about the fans, how much he loved interacting and seeing the fans. And again, this is this is later in life, so he had to be in his eighties or nineties, just like being Stan Lee. And that, I think that's the thing that gets me about it is Stan Lee was always Stan Lee. And um, yeah, so. Uh, I think that's it, man. I think that's sufficient enough. I think we've had at least talk, been talking for an hour, so I think it's probably good that we pulled this out. I feel, I feel a little better. I feel a little cathartic. You know, it, 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 we need to talk about it. You need to get out there. And again, these characters and what they mean to us. And shit, we wouldn't have this podcast if it wasn't for this. I mean, if you think about it, we we wouldn't. You know, if you love... <sighs> If you love the comic book since 1970, or comic book character, The Walking Dead doesn't exist without Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. That show didn't exist without Stan Lee. Because he said, this is not a child's medium. And everyone else is playing catch-up. Some people still are. Yeah. You, that's why you gotta reboot certain universes every 16, 18 months. Hmm. Prove me wrong, DC. Um, and yes, I feel comfortable taking a shot at DC because even in his, da- in his ending days, he called them the competition. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. He's the absolute best. And he shall be missed. <laughs> yeah, he will be. He will be. Well, there you guys have it. That is our little um, discussion therapy session about Stanley. Um, make sure you guys uh, subscribe to the Character Corner or we will... We have another episode coming out soon uh, for Doom Patrol. We're gonna finally get knock that one out this weekend, uh, and then we'll do Aquaman next next uh, next month, two part on Aquaman, and then we will be done for 2018. So um, make sure you guys subscribe, and uh, we will be back soon. So um, thank you guys very much for listening. Until next time, we are out of here. Peace.